We all get by with a little help from our friends, but we need to know what types of friends we need to have on this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science, and it's actually younger than the internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and greetings and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Please, you are making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. In this episode, we're talking friendships and the different types of friends you can have with our guest, Stephen Cope. Stephen is a senior scholar in residence and a Kerpaloo ambassador. He's a Western-trained psychotherapist who writes and teaches about the relationships between Western psychological paradigms and the Eastern contemplative traditions. In his 25th anniversary edition, the Yoga Journal named him one of the most important innovators in the developing field of American yoga. And we talk to him now. Well, Stephen, we're glad uh, to finally get you on the program. This is a topic that I'm very interested in and very glad that we're getting a chance uh, to to dive in deep with a man who's literally written the book on it. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> totally glad to be here. The book is called Soul Friends. And uh, can you can you tell our listeners what you mean by that phrase? Yeah, absolutely. This has really taken a lot from the work of a, a student of Freud's uh, named Heinz Kohut, who came to believe that the self is really co-created in, in deep relationships. And in fact, that in order to really thrive as human beings, we need to create around us kind of surround of relationship uh, that is what, what Kohut called evoking, sustaining, affirming, and unifying. And Soul friends, I, you know, I ask at the beginning of the book for readers, if they wish, to think about those people in their life who've been absolutely essential to creating who they are today. Mm. Um, and this is what I did when I started the book, and I found that there were 8 or 10 or 12 people on my list and on most people's lists who can be clearly identified as absolutely central to the development of uh, your own personality. I go on to kind of examine the, the six different types of soul friends that, that Kohut himself wrote about. So a soul friend is really one of those people who's been absolutely critical to who you've turned into. It's an extremely interesting concept, and it does kind of tie in. I mean, you know, you you're, you kind of mix in the Western and the Eastern uh, schools of thought on these sorts of things, and it seems like there's these people for everybody, like you mentioned, the eight to ten or the six people that are very key uh, in your lives. What what are the different kinds of, of soul friends we can have as, as time goes on? The first one is the container, and this is the person very often going all the way back to early life in whose presence or actually in whose physical arms, perhaps, we feel safely held and soothed and contained. Hmm. And um, Kohut talks about that in, in our early years, but he also says, and I think he's absolutely right, that we need throughout life that experience of containment, 
um, that experience of being safely held and sued. The second one he mentions is he calls twinship. And this is the category of what, what I would call best friends, best friends forever, the bromance. The BFFs, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the BFF. I mean, those those highly charged relationships, very often these start in, in adolescence, but then may go on throughout life. And, and again, these the key mechanism here is the experience of the essential likeness of the other. So this is the friend um, that comes along a few times in life that is very interested in you and you're very interested in them. And you discover this internal sameness. Hmm. I mean, I, I know I have, a, I have a best friendship going right now with my buddy Brian, and we're always saying something like, I can't believe you said that because I feel exactly the same way. Yeah, I've so, I've experienced that as well with uh, uh, a girl that I work with. We have these weird things that we both enjoy, and it's like, whoa, what? <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. it's a fun discovering moment when you realize that you've had this same <laughs> these same uh, that, yeah yeah, and and you know it's absolutely essential to have the kind of. Um, confirm that you're not alone on the planet. There's somebody else who inhabits a, a similar internal space to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, again, I think we often think of these best friendships as, as happening more early in life, but um, I've discovered in, you know, I'm, I'm in my 60s now, and just recently I discovered, like, really the best guy friend of my life. And um, it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't a romantic relationship, but it, it has some of the qualities of romance, even though it's not sexual. Right. Um, so that's twinship. The third one is is um, what Kohut calls the adversary. And um, he makes the point, again, which I think is brilliant, is that we, throughout life, we all need somebody to bump up against, somebody who challenges us and confronts us and pushes us. And this actually um, allows us to have to pull ourselves together to unify ourselves in a way and step up um, in order to meet this kind of challenge. This is called the, we call sometimes the noble adversary. Hmm. Um, You might know that in, in contemplative practice, lots of gurus actually intentionally take on the role of noble adversary in, in order to push the student. Um, and I know, for example, as a writer, my, my editor at, at Banton has, has been my noble adversary. And um, it, it really evokes, it calls forth a lot of your best stuff. Um, so that's the third one. The fourth one is the mirror. This is the person who, who sees you in a way that almost nobody else does. So, you know, the... What I like to say is there are, there are parts of our bodies that throughout our lives we'll never actually see directly with our eyes, like the small of your back or any number of other things. But yeah. you can see it only with a mirror. And likewise, there are parts of our psyches and ourselves and our souls that we actually don't perceive without the use of a mirror, a human mirror, somebody who, who sees us. Um, I know as an example of that right now, I have, I have a relationship with my dear 30-year-old niece. And this is one of those situations where I know that I see her in all her beauty and fullness and 
exquisiteness, and she doesn't yet see herself. So I get to be the mirror in her life and feed her back to herself and reflect her back. Um, And over the years since we've been really close, she's my favorite niece. Uh, I've seen the power of that kind of that kind of mirroring to evoke, you know, the best in somebody. Yeah. This next mechanism is called projective identification. And this is this kind of a flipping mirroring on its head. I like to call this, oh, there's several different names for it, but I like the mystic friend. <laughs> this is the person, this is the person that, that may not even be living, but for example, um, Bach or Beethoven, rather, when he was beginning to discover himself, uh, was looking all over for an example of who he could be. And it wasn't until he got in relationship with Bach, who was long dead, um, and began to read his music, he said, oh, my God, I really relate to that. Like, across the ages, across the decades, across Mm. the centuries, you find somebody that... um, that you know you have this this mystic connection with sort of a um, yeah a role model or a kindred spirit based on the things that they had done or the way they acted or how they how they went about life i i can i'm thinking of one right now for myself actually but uh, yeah that's a very yeah. interesting a very interesting idea yeah i mean for for me for example the first time i read as a writer, the first time I read Annie Dillard, his great American author, I was just blown away. And I thought, okay, I have to read everything this woman wrote. I have to know all about her mm-hmm. because there's some way in which she is um, exemplifying in full flower something that I know exists in me in seed form. And therefore, I have to almost get her inside me um, in order to find myself. So, uh, again, the mystic friend, the the sense that you can actually connect with people's minds and hearts um, over the centuries and over long distances. Um, This is, in a way, this is a a very, very mature form of twinship. Hmm. So, you know, we, we have these romances almost with these people, like I had with Annie Dillard, um... You know, Thoreau, for example, Emerson taught Thoreau to read like this. He said, look, um, Henry, (laughs) here's the way you should read. Pay attention to what authors are absolutely lighting you up and turning you on and then devour them. And then you interject them and and very often move on. So um, that's the fifth one. Interesting. And then the final one is is something um, that I've called the noble ally. And this is the person very often deeper into life that becomes a, not the noble adversary, but the noble ally. That is the person who is allied with you in an attempt to be a thriving human being. So this hmm. is maybe a partner, maybe a deep friendship, where you basically have either an implicit or explicit agreement that your role in their life is to help them thrive and their role in your life is to help you thrive. Um, and this one, in, in all of the different, the six different categories, I use historical examples. And on this one, I use Victoria and Albert, Queen Victoria of England. Oh, yeah. Um, because this was such a fascinating marriage where it started out as a romance, as a kind of twinship, but it turned into this 
incredible experience of noble allyship where they both said, my job in your life is to is to help you thrive and become everything you can be. And they were very explicit about that. And then over the, the course of their lifespan together, and of course, Albert died when he was 42, but you get to see how the support of this loving other, this ally, um, allowed both of them to thrive and become just amazing human beings. So those are the six, containment, twinship, adversary, mirroring, mystic friend, and noble ally. And, and I think as you go through life, you'll you find these at different times, just kind of from my Absolutely. experience. And I and I don't want to get, yeah. you know, all theoretical and like, oh, maybe these people are who you're always supposed to find in every different life because reincarnation is a thing. I don't know. But you do seem to find that everyone seems to, at least in my experience that I know uh, when we've talked about this, they can all kind of find someone who's fit into one of these six categories for them. So maybe we are destined to find these these people uh, in, in each life lifetime well you know i I, i've been talking about this now for a while with with my friends and peers and um what i've really encouraged people to do is pay attention to the people in your social networks or people that you run across um throughout life and when one of them um pops up as somebody super interesting and very compelling then investigate and find out what's there. Very, very likely it's one of these different six different mechanisms going on. I like the idea, too, that, that, that there are you can have more than six and more than one can fit into a category. Correct. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, very often I don't know about you, but for me um, throughout life, there have been a number of things that started as twinships, you know, as these romantic best friends forever what you know whatever form of twinship and mm-hmm. then evolved even into the noble ally or sometimes into the adversary yeah so uh one person can play a number of different roles there absolutely you talk about uh, in the book the way we have an exchange of energy and an exchange of information with these people. What can you explain more what that yeah. kind of means as 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 we go through our daily lives and and why also that's an important thing to to know and 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 recognize. You know, this is one of the most important things I got from from studying this area is that these you know in the Eastern contemplative traditions which I come out of both yoga and Buddhism, mm-hmm. there's the sense that our connections with other people are extremely real energetically. So think of it as a kind of a filament that reaches out toward this other person and connects you, not just in some kind of, um, uh, you know, theoretical way, but in an actual physical way. Um, Mm -hmm. So that, you know, for example, when you lose somebody who's really important to you, there's a sense of these filaments having to be kind of snipped off one by one as you go through the grief process. But I, as I started thinking about this, and you know, as I wrote this book, I was really observing my own friendships deeply. Yeah. And I noticed that yeah. when I'm around the people I really care about and feel deeply connected to, there's no question that I, I get energy from them. I perk up. I feel lively. My mind feels more awake. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm really drawn to that and drawn to them. Um, 
Yeah. You know, Dan Siegel is, is the one who gave me this idea, the great neuroscientist. Um, and he says, you know, there's this, there's this exchange of energy and information. Um, information, of course, is, is the second part of this. And that's, uh, that's simply that we're learning all the time when we're deeply connected. You know, when those mechanisms of mirroring are happening or um, adversity, there's, there's like profound learning happening and information exchanged in those times. So one of the goals of this book is really to get people to see, wow, these, these connections are very real. They're very alive. Yeah. And um, once you start seeing that, it, the world actually lights up a little bit with some magic. Well, I like the idea that you talked about that, that when you're with uh, these people that, that have, have meant something to you, whether in these different soul friend uh, capacities, that your energy does pick up. And I, I was just thinking about that, that some of my friends at work, if if it we're getting down to the end of the day and it's like, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay awake through the end of this process, or yeah. whatever, I just walk <laughs> over to their office or their cube. And yes, you're killing a little bit of time, but also you get that little boost that helps you not fall asleep uh, while you're sitting there at the desk. Exactly. Well, I don't know about you, but I have next to my desk a whole series of pictures of the people who really matter to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if as, I, as you say, I begin to slump, I really make connection with those pictures. And there's, there's some life there. There's some energy there. Those people are giving me something. Yeah, there's you know, there's I, something to be said for setting that that environment up so that you're you've got that there because those connections are powerful and they can. I mean, you don't have to be right next to the person, right? That energy can kind of transfer uh, across continents, really. It totally can, and you know, you notice this all the time. People have pictures of the people that that they love, but when I started paying attention to this whole area, I started realizing that's important. Like I, I need to do that. I need to have those people near me. And I think I say, I talk in the book about how a soldier on a battlefield has next to his heart, the picture of the person he loves. And very often it's that picture and that person and that connection that's actually um, giving him the energy to do what he has to do. I like that um, image a lot yeah. be because when you think of like the old war movies and maybe that's the only place that happened, but it's a good window into it. You know, they've got that little locket or the little picture or whatever. And, well, that's the gal I'm fighting for back home. I don't know why I did that voice, exactly. but, but, but yeah, yeah. It, that totally makes sense. I mean, isn't that interesting? It's not, they don't have next to their heart necessarily a picture of the American flag. It's a picture of a human being. Yeah. And that's, that's, um, that's really profound. And I love stories, too. Um, in my last book, The Great Work of Your Life, I did studies of 12 great, um, great lives. And what I began to see is this pattern that every single one of those great lives, and I talked about like Thoreau and Whitman and Jane Goodall and um, John Keats, every single one of them had the picture of some profoundly loved being always with them. For example, um, uh, Susan B. Anthony had Charlotte Bronte. Now, she hmm. never met Charlotte Bronte, but she had her picture always with her because Charlotte Bronte was an exemplar of what she called the new woman. And over her casket at her desk, 
she asked that the picture of Charlotte Bronte be be hung. Hmm. Um, so these, again, exchange of energy and information. It's funny that you mentioned that because... Now that I think about it, when we were talking about our mystic friends and I said, well, I'm thinking of one right now that that, that I'm connecting yeah. with. I've got a picture yeah. of that person in my house hanging on the wall. Um, that person is yeah. is Johnny Carson uh, for oh my God. for no other reason other than. I'm from the same home state as him. I love broadcasting. I love yeah. humor. Um, I probably off the air. I'm a little bit more like him than I would uh, like to admit, um, <laughs> uh, given given some of the oh things we've God, heard about I him. I love Johnny Carson. Oh, he's the best, right? So um, but yeah, I've got a picture of Johnny Carson on my wall at home, and I got that picture to put when I had a, a morning radio show. I put it at my desk yeah. because that's who I want to be like. Um, oh my! There it is. That's so, the mystic friend. Wow! And, you know, it's it's so important when when you find that mystic friend, it's so important to get to know everything you can about them and mm-hmm. feel close to them because it's really a way of calling forth yourself and your best self and your absolutely idiosyncratic particular genius. So there's some genius in you that is very much like Johnny Carson. And by um, communing with him in whatever way you do, it, it actually evokes that. It pulls it forth. I, I would that's like to believe that's the example. case. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, w- I was the weird kid that wanted Ed McMahon to show up at my house, not because I wanted to win all the money. I just wanted him to laugh oh. at my bad jokes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's all falling into place. I guess I'm doing these things subconsciously. Do you find that that's kind of the case, that we don't even realize that these things are, are happening and are important to us? Absolutely. And really the purpose of this book was to get people to be more conscious about this, about the power that this surround of relationship uh, actually has, and then to do it intentionally. So to begin to practice, you know, when you're with your friend, like after this talk, I'm going out to my buddy Brian's and we'll probably watch football or something, whatever's on, but to actually attune to the other person's mind, you know, we'll probably have a deep conversation about what happened today. Um, But, and, you know, it's like I can't wait to go because I can't wait to hear what happened with this new woman he's dating. And I know he's interested in hearing from me about my day. And so there's this 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 attunement and you begin to do it consciously and more intentionally. And it's it's really cool. And we've talked so many times before on this podcast and on our radio show and in, in the magazine uh, about just how important a strong and healthy social connection or social network, uh, a real life one, not Facebook or Twitter, although that can be used to connect to your actual social network, uh, how important yeah. that really is for your well-being, uh, the sense of belonging, the sense of, of like you said, someone to, to soothe you, someone to show you who you really are and, and all those things. It, yeah. it impacts your mental health, certainly, but... It, even your physical health uh, improves once you've, once you've taken care of that, too. Absolutely. And, you know, this is such an interesting point because in our culture, we tend to see ourselves as kind of islands, little islands um, surviving all on our own. But the truth is the self is really co-created in this surround of relationships. We're, 
-hmm. We're quintessentially social and interpersonal beings. And without that interpersonal context, we kind of don't exist. Yeah. Um, But, you know, once you start seeing the world that way, you, you see these these connections as really, really alive things. And, um, and, and you see that our culture really doesn't support that, that view. You know, I mean, in, in traditional societies, everybody was understood to be the self was embedded in, in, in a social network, Mm -hmm. but we like to think of ourselves as much more independent than we actually are. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that that solitary confinement is considered a terrible punishment for people to have to endure or uh, the people who kind of end up in cabins in Montana by themselves for long periods of time uh, end up having uh, some some serious difficulties if they're not getting real human connection. That's such a good point. Um, And, you know, I I think, too, about this this new research about uh, addiction. And the way in which people who are deeply connected uh, tend to have far fewer addictions. Mm-hmm. You know, they did the study of the rats. So I don't know if you heard about this one, but um, they did they did two different cohorts. One involved rats that had been isolated, and they exposed them to heroin. And the rats who'd been isolated just gobbled up the the mood altering drug. Hmm. Then they had another set of rats who for whom they had created what they called a rat park in which <laughs> they got to socialize and play. And there were all these games that they could play and they could play with the other little rats. And those rats didn't want anything to do with the heroin. Wow. Um, and, and there it is about addiction. Like the, the, the cure for addiction too. What is it? Well, like with alcoholism, it's AA. What is that? It's community. It's yeah. connection. Yeah. There's um, a there's so a local radio broadcaster that uh, here in in Dallas that uh, he he does ads for an addiction treatment center and it's always you are not alone you can fight this with it go. but yeah. yeah it's it's a really interesting concept you are not alone that's it that's brilliant now I'm gonna be thinking I'm gonna have the Michael Jackson song stuck in my head for the rest of the night. <laughs> Well, Stephen, there there is so much uh, that we I feel like we've just scratched the surface on this. So we want to encourage everybody uh, to get a copy of the book, uh, Soul Friends, and uh, learn more about this, the different types of friends, and uh, the importance of a strong and a meaningful uh, social network. We also are offering to folks uh, uh, the, uh, the chance to learn more about your eight-week course, Sounds True. Uh, what can you tell folks about that before they go and check it out on the website? Yeah, absolutely. So this uh, Sense True has done a for me an eight week course based on my my previous book, um, my my fourth book, which is called The Great Work of Your Life, and that's actually a book about um, meaning and purpose, hmm. and it's based on the 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 great uh, a two thousand year old yoga treatise called the Bhagavad Gita, which is probably the most important ancient treatise on meaning and purpose in life. Um, and so I did an eight week course for sounds true, which is just coming out. And, uh, I kind of can't wait to, to see it, to see it on the shelves. 
We are going to have more information about that uh, as well as uh, Soul Friends. And the other book was Great Work of Your Life. Check that one out, too. We talk a lot about uh, meaning and purpose on this program. So uh, another fine resource for folks. Uh, Check it out at livehappynow.com is our website. And uh, uh, we look forward to to hearing more about it as well. Uh, Stephen Cope, thank thank you again for for taking the time out to talk with us. A fascinating conversation. And uh, uh, if it were up to me and our producer's listening so she knows it's up to me, uh, we'll have you on again to uh, to discuss this sometime here in the future. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Fun to talk with you. And if you'd like to learn more about Stephen's eight-week course with Sounds True, visit livehappynow.com. For all of us here at Live Happy, we thank you for listening to this podcast over the last several years. And if you have any feedback, feel free to send it in. Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash livehappy at livehappy on Twitter, or you can send us an email podcast at livehappy.com. One day I'll learn how to talk. In the meantime, I'm your host, J.R. Houston, saying so long, and thank you for helping us to live happy.